Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Verse 18. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Now, seven years was actually very generous. This was a long time, but he wanted to make sure Laban didn't say no, that Laban didn't refuse. So it was like, seven years of my life, I will serve you as the dowry for, for Rachel. Verse 20, So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Romantic, very romantic verse in the Bible there. But this is one of the few passages, one of the few chapters that actually covers courtship, that actually covers somewhat of what it looks like maybe to date. But as we've talked about, there's, there was no dating. It's just, it's just courting, finding someone to actually uh, get espoused to. And as we look at this account, guys, it is crystal clear that godly courtship means waiting for marriage before you have sex. It's obvious. And I, honestly, I don't know a lot of Christians, even professing Christians, even non-Christians, who think otherwise. Like if I were to ask anybody, hey, what do you think the Bible says about sex and marriage? Well, I'm, I, the Bible says to wait before, until you're married to have sex. People understand this. People know this. And it's, it's clear here in the biblical example. Crystal clear. And guys, check this out. I mean, we have a hard time right now, right? We get In our culture, we get engaged and usually... The, the wedding, like I said, it, it, try not to make it a long engagement because temptation does, can get the best of you. Uh, but we, we get engaged, we have to wait a few months to get married and we're like chomping at the bit like, man, uh, it's going to be, it's forever. We were engaged for 10 months, Angela and I, and it was, it did, it felt like a long time. I was like, this is, I'm glad it's not a year, or year and a half, this is really hard, you know? So, and poor Jacob, man, the guy had to wait seven years of being engaged to, his, to this girl. And in the culture Jacob was living in, they were very strict regarding rules between unmarried men and women. Like they would keep them separated. And they would be watching Jake with a close eye, the family would, and watching Rachel with a close eye. And they would have had limited time together. So, I mean, we, we complain, we think we have it hard, but come on, like Jake did it. Jake was a faithful guy. He was a faithful man. He was a man who honored God and he honored Rachel and he waited seven years before consummating his marriage. And unfortunately, as we'll see, he had to wait a lot longer than that to be with Rachel. But if you want to be a man, a woman who honors God with your marriage, and by the way, I recommend you, you do. If you, want to, if you want your marriage blessed by God, if you want God to strengthen your marriage, if you want your marriage established on a foundation of trust, you want to honor God. And if you want to honor God, there is no question about it. You wait before you have sex. Period. That's, that's the biblical example. And it is so worth it. Again, as a pastor, I've never sat in a counseling session with a married couple with marital problems who regretted waiting. Those who waited. And to be honest with you, there's, there's been more issues throughout my counseling experience with couples who didn't wait. There are more couples who come in with crisis, crises in their marriage and just so happens they were also a couple who didn't wait. Or they were a couple who had multiple 
partners before they even met and got married. It creates a lot of issues. So honor God, and God will bless you. He really will. And if I could just get real heavy here and just camp out here, because I think this is a good conversation, guys. It's a good subject that we really need to understand. And I just want to say how tragic it is for the amount of professing Christians who really compromise in this area. It's really, I mean, I've, I've, I've read on like polls and research, so many professing Christians still sleep with their, their boyfriends and girlfriends. And I want to tell you guys, it's, it's a tragedy. Not just because you're hindering your future marriage. That is a part of the tragedy. But it's a greater tragedy because as the church, as a professing Christian, it hurts the, the church capital C. It hurts our witness to the non-believing world. You see, something about our witness to the world, guys, that we need to understand. The most powerful thing that we have as Christians in our witness to the world around us is this. It's holiness. Holiness. Do you know what holiness means? It means to be set apart. It means to be different than the world. It means to be unique. And God has called us to holiness. And it's through our holiness that we become effective in reaching the outside world. Now, some people think it's relatability. I'm going to be a relatable Christian. I'm going to be one of those cool Christians, you know. Um, I want to make it look really cool to be in Christ. Maybe they'll catch me smoking a cigarette. You know, it's like, dude, relatability only goes so far in relationships. People who are truly seeking, people who are desperate for hope, who are desperate for, for something to satisfy their souls other than sin, they're not, in their heart of hearts, they're not interested in how cool you are. They're not interested in how relatable you are if you sleep with your boyfriend. They don't think that's cool. People in their heart of hearts, when they're looking for truth and they're looking for hope, they want to see a changed life, guys. Because even they know real faith, if something really works, it will change who you are. And so a lot of people see a lot of Christians compromising sexually in a lot of different ways and they turn a deaf ear to Jesus. Why would I want that Jesus? Obviously, Jesus isn't fulfilling that person because they have to sleep with their boyfriend because they have to be involved sexually. Obviously, Jesus doesn't satisfy them or Jesus doesn't really work because they still have to compromise in that way. It hurts our witness when we do this. And when we compromise sexually, guys, we give people in the world who are engaged in sexual sin, and they're not Christians. It's what they do. Why, why should they honor the Bible? They don't even profess to believe the Bible, right? And we, as the church, we can come down so hard on their sexual sins. like, well, they're not even Christian. But the, the, these words in the Bible, fornicator, a fornicator is just someone who has sex outside of marriage. Homosexuality, someone who's active in a homosexual relationship, having sex with someone of the same sex. Uh, adultery, someone who's, who's sleeping outside their marriage with other people, having, committing adultery on their spouse. These words, these terms in the Bible, people out there practice because that's just the way of life. That's just how it is apart from Christ. And then they look at the church and we're, we're sitting here trying to tell them what the biblical model is for sex. And they're like, why would, I, why would I even consider that when so many Christians don't even abide by that? And guess what, guys? They would be making a really good point, wouldn't they? Where's the power in what you believe if you're not living it? And if you're compromising sexually, 
it's hurting, it's hurting your ability to show them the real hope of Jesus Christ. Because there are, I'm going to tell you, there are people out there in these lifestyles believing it's okay because this is what they know, but they're hungry inside. They're thirsty. They're unsatisfied. They're enslaved. And they don't realize it. And they need Jesus. And you're the church and they want, you to, they want to see the change in you. They want to see it. Now I want to say that there's definitely grace here. Right? A, a, lot of, a lot of Christians have blown it, but there's always grace in Christ. And that's the amazing thing about the Gospel is that when you have blown it, you know there's grace to grow like what we talked about before. You can, if you want to honor God this day forward, you can come back to Christ. You can repent. You can change that area of your life and get back on the right track. And guess what? God can restore the mistakes that have been made and God can use you in, in, as a witness to the outside world. But apart from that repentance, apart from that holiness, there will not be an awakening out there. And if you truly want to see God move, you truly want to see salvation, eternal souls saved from hell, it's not going to start with them miraculously changing what they think is right. It's going to start with the church's holiness. It's going to, it's going to start with you and me making a commitment to live out what the Bible says. And a huge part of that is sexual purity. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I think it is, it says, this is the will of God for you, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. This is the will of God for you. It's His will. So we see Jacob here honor God and Rachel as he waits for her for seven years. My man, he's he's an example here of self-control. Verse 21, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. He's like, enough is enough. Seven years is up. I'm ready to do this. Like, where's Rachel? Let's, let's make this happen, right? So Laban gathered together all the people of, of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Now, this was Laban's plan, and I'm sure he, he really had to plan this out just right. The ceremony, the feast, I'm sure there was... There had to have been some alcohol involved here, I'd, I'd imagine. I don't know how Jake could mistakenly sleep with the wrong woman. Um, but some say, well, maybe she was in some kind of like garb and her face was covered and it was dark. And who knows? That could have been the case as well. I just know that whenever alcohol is involved, it's not, it's not good, right? Self-control goes out the window. Your discernment kind of goes out the window. Understand that. So it may or may not have been alcohol involved here, but Laban has definitely coordinated this thing to make this happen. Verse 24. It says, Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. So that's significant. Zilpah will will come into the picture. Verse 25. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, Well, it's not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. And Jacob's like, oh, 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 cool. That's cool. All right, I, I guess I can understand. No, he's, he's like, are you kidding me? He's like, that, that would have been nice to know seven years ago. You know, why are you bringing this up right now? Laban knew what he was doing here. Verse 27, he says, complete the, work, the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. So he's like, okay, if you want, Rachel, you've got you to give me seven more years of labor. 
Uh, Jacob did so. He just did it. Jacob did so. I, I just think that's those three words. I mean, he was violated. He was wronged. And he's, this is an unreasonable request. And Jacob did so. To me, that just that strikes me. It reminds me of when Jesus was like, hey, you know, if someone takes your cloak, give them your tunic. You know, if someone wants to, you know, compel you to go one mile, go an extra mile with them. Uh, that's, that's what I see here in Jacob. Just amazing to me. He, he, it says, and he completed her week, another seven years. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Bilhah is another important individual here. Verse 30, so Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. So here we see the obvious, the obvious moral failure, the obvious red flag here is polygamy, right? Okay, multiple wives, again, in the Bible. Is this okay? No, it's not. It's a royal mess. As these chapters unfold, you'll see it is not cool, it is not fun uh, to be a polygamist. <laughs> and it was not God's design. In fact, Jesus confirms it. He's like, from the beginning, it was not so. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, one man, one woman. The two became one flesh. Therefore, what God is joined together. Let not man separate. If you throw another wife in there, you're separating some things. There's some separation issues. Right? It's a me- it's, this whole thing is, is a mess. The great thing is that God uses messes. That's the amazing, that's the big picture over the, the family of the patriarchs, their whole family. They're just a messy situation altogether. And God uses messes, thank God. But I also want to point out, in the midst of the moral failure of polygamy here, there's also some moral values, I think, that we should take away from, from this culture, from this example here. Number one, as I already said before, sexual purity was valued. And, and that's one of the reasons I believe Jacob didn't just cast Leah aside because he knew he had slept with her already. He, she would be defiled in the eyes of everyone else in the community because the men of that, that time expected their bride to be a virgin on their wedding night. They valued sexual purity and he realized, I've slept with her. She is now my wife. She's now committed to me. And that's a good thing. Sexual purity and, and the sanctity of sexual intimacy. And then the other thing, the other moral value I see here is the sanctity of the vow of marriage. Like they really meant it when they committed to marriage. And, and I mean, Jacob had every right to be like, well, I didn't say I do. I didn't sign that marriage statement. I didn't, that wasn't the name I put on the marriage license. Right? He had every right to be like, whoa, 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 I did not agree to this. But the vow of marriage that they went through the, what he went and, and the consummation, which was sexual intercourse, he honored that vow because he knew it was a lifelong commitment. He couldn't just say, no, I'm not married to Leah because he knew he was at that point. He was committed to her. And I believe that is commendable. That is very commendable. But thanks to Laban here and his selfishness and his opportunist personality, uh, what could have been a beautiful union here turns into this heartache and pain pretty much for everybody involved, except Laban, of course. Laban got exactly what he wanted. And just know that, guys, sometimes the, sometimes the wicked prevail. You will try to do well, and there will be people who will do you wrong, and you don't deserve it. And God allows them, and God, God even allows them to prosper sometimes, and you're like, why? Why, God? But just know that's a part of life. God sees it all, and there is a day of reckoning for guys like Laban. 
Understand that. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. So he marries off. He pawns off both of his daughters. They're no longer a financial burden to him. And he got 14 years of free labor. So Laban made off pretty good here in this deal. But, but try to imagine how devastating it was for the other three. I mean, picture Jacob's circumstance. He was violated. I mean, this was a form of rape. He, he was tricked into having sex with somebody he didn't ever want to be with. And then he woke up to realize, whoa, he had been violated. Not cool. And not only that, but his heart would be breaking because now there's another woman who's in the middle of he and his wife, the one that he really loved. This would have been heartbreaking for him. Think about Rachel's devastation. Like, think about Rachel having to go through all of this, knowing the plans, probably having to hide out during the party because lest they give the plan away. And she's just devastated. She's, she's mad. And now she, there's, there's now, she has to share her husband with, with her sister. There's a, there's a person in between this relationship that could have been. But I think of everybody involved, guys, Leah. Leah had it the worst. It's so sad. If you consider Leah's situation, hey, look, you're not pretty enough. Nobody's interested in you. I have to pawn you off through trickery. We're going to have to, like how heartbreaking would that be for Leah? And I don't want you. I don't want you around here anymore. So I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. We're gonna do this. Like she would feel totally rejected by her her own father. Not only that, but the man that she marries doesn't want her. How heartbreaking would that be? Like you're forced to be with somebody who doesn't love you, doesn't care about you, and and as far as we know, her only sister now despises her. So I mean, could you imagine that the level of despair Leah is facing right now? I mean, this is just. It's heartbreaking. Your heart kind of goes out to Leah, right? And so does the Lord's. The Lord sees Leah. Watch verse 31. It says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now, this is super interesting to me. So the Lord sees the pain, the despair of Leah, her loneliness, her, her rejection that she's facing, and God, he, he cares for her. He sees and he wants to do something about it. And this is a, a very important takeaway from tonight's text. And that is when you're going through total rejection, when you're going through despair, and you feel like nobody cares, you feel like the people in your life who should love you don't even love you, you need to understand that you have a God in heaven who, has, who, who cares, he's crazy about you. He was intentional about creating you. He's the one, he gave your family a choice to love you and care for you or not. He gave the people around you free will and he's given you free will. And sometimes it devastates us when people sin against us. But he loves you nonetheless. And when everyone else around you devalues you, you still have tremendous value in the eyes of God. You need to understand that. So in your moments of despair, in your moments of hopelessness, know that God sees God sees you right where you're at, and He desires to bring you comfort. He does. We saw a similar picture with Hagar, right? Abraham's handmaid who got thrown into the middle of this, and it was just a horrible drama. And guess what? God, God showed up in person and met Hagar. So in your times of despair, know that God is there. God is with you. When, when it feels like everyone else has forsaken you, God is still there. He hasn't forsaken you. Verse 32, and it says, And Leah conceived... And bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. 
Reuben means behold a son. That's what it means. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. And you, and you can see her expectations there. If I have kids with him, then my marriage is going to be fixed. Hey, don't think that. There are, I'm telling you, there are people who think, well, maybe if I, get, uh, if I sleep with my boyfriend and, get him, and we get pregnant and have a baby, maybe then he'll propose to me and, and then maybe our lives will come together and maybe it will fix all... No, kids do not fix things. In fact, kids only make things more intense. So yeah, you need, you need a strong marriage before you have kids. Kids aren't going to fix a broken marriage. But she has this expectation, maybe now my husband will love me. Verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me a son also. And she called his name Simeon. Heard. Well, at least God hears me. At least God sees me, right? That's what she's thinking here. Verse 34, and again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So maybe she's given up on his love and at least maybe he'll come around more and he'll be attached to her because she's the mother of his three sons that he loves dearly. But no, it still didn't fix the situation. Verse 35, And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, which means praise. Then she ceased bearing. So, as I close this out, guys, there's just a few interesting things about this last section that I want to touch on in closing here. The first is that I just find it interesting that God's way of comforting Leah was by allowing her to conceive children. That when God wanted to come and give her hope and give her joy, He allows her to have kids. I, I just find that interesting. That according to the Lord, comfort and purpose and joy in this tough season would be found in motherhood. Now, this isn't to say that God has made women solely for baby making. That's not, that's not, this, that's not it at all. But it is to say that, and understand this, guys, that motherhood is something very significant in the life of women. It is something that God has designed to be a very important experience for a woman. So much so that it brings purpose and joy and fulfillment and maturity like nothing else. And the reason that I'm pointing this out today because, is because in our culture, in this day and age, the significance of motherhood is something that's been highly devalued and even attacked. For a lot of people in our culture today, motherhood is an inconvenience. Motherhood is something that holds back your career, that holds back you from being all that you can be. Motherhood is an inconvenience. I want to tell you, it's not an inconvenience. I want to tell you that one of the greatest things any woman could ever accomplish in their life is being a mom. Just talk, just talk to a good mom. Get their take on, on it. How hard was it to have that baby? Oh, it was hard. But how rewarding. It, oh, pff, it is so rewarding. God has created us to be fruitful and multiply. And a part of a woman's role in in fruitfulness and multiplying the earth and bearing God's image is this role of motherhood. It's very significant. So don't underestimate the significance of motherhood if you, if you have, if you've underestimated that. In fact, I believe, guys, that in God's kingdom, in God's economy, moms are going to be among the richest in heaven. I'm telling you. 
the, the thankless job, the self-sacrifice that nobody sees behind the scenes, wiping butts for like 10 years straight. Thank you, Angela. I love you. I'm looking at the camera. You're all like, is Angela here? You're all here. <laughs> um, but it's unthanked. But it's so significant and so important. Now, another interesting thing here about this last section before I close is that though children gave Leah joy and purpose, it still didn't fulfill her. Did you notice that? Like she went kid after kid with all these expectations, hoping maybe this will fix it. Maybe this will fulfill me. See, Leah thought her fulfillment was going to be found in a healthy family experience. And it's joyful. It is. It's, it's, it feels good to have a healthy family. But your fulfillment will not be found there ultimately. She wasn't fulfilled because her experience was less than ideal. That's what she thought. Well, you know, this fa- real family and healthy marriage, that's where I'm finally going to be complete. And the reason I'm not complete is because I don't have that. That's, that was her mentality. And by the time she had her fourth kid, it seems that she finally learned the lesson that only God could truly fulfill her. Her disappointment reached the point where it was like, well, I want to praise God. I'm just going to praise God. And in arriving to that conclusion, she finally arrived at the spot where she would be truly fulfilled. No more expectations. She's like, no more expectations this time. I'm just going to praise the Lord. And guys, something we need to understand is that as good as it is to have a healthy family and spouse who loves you, right? those are amazing things, amazing blessings. I'm going to tell you that none of those things, neither of those things will fulfill you. You, will, you can get married. Let's say you get married to the, the person of your dreams. And you have amazing kids and you're, you're making good money and everything. You will not be fulfilled in this dream that you're chasing after. It will not fulfill you. I'm telling you. Oh no, Sean, but once I get that career and I get that house and my wife's happy and, and you know, I have these kids and running through the yard, then I'll be happy. No, you will not. There's a reason why people who get into the American dream get everything they want and then they have to go looking for more. And then alcoholism comes involved or uh, gambling or affairs because it doesn't fulfill you. Everyone, whether rich or poor, loved or unloved, will only find true fulfillment in God. All must come to Jesus for true satisfaction. You hear me? Everybody, if you want to be satisfied, it's only going to be found in Jesus Christ And I believe this is another area where as the church we've hindered our witness to the outside world. Because in subtle ways we've sent the message that, hey, you want to be really fulfilled, have a Christian family. Have a Christian wedding. Have Christian kids. And then fulfillment will happen. Mm -mm. We subtly say these messages. Now it's good that we uphold family and uphold marriage. But those who can't have kids or those who haven't found a spouse or even those who have same-sex attraction and they're trying to honor God, they see this standard that we've placed on Christianity. They're like, well, I could never, I can't do that. That's not for me. When it's unreasonable. Holiness does not equate to, to a wife, two kids, and a dog, right? Like that is not fulfillment and that is not holiness. Yes, marriage is good. Family is good as God has designed it. And that is very, very important. But it's not ultimately what fulfills. The call to Christianity is this, guys. 
it's, it's not come to my church so you can look like me. Come to my church so you can have a family like me and dress like me and talk like me and think exactly like me. That's not the call to Christianity. The call to Christianity is come, experience Jesus for yourself. Taste of the living water because only He can satisfy you. He is the bread of life and only He can fulfill you. That is the invitation to Christianity. Come be who Jesus Christ is calling you to be. Come allow Jesus to satisfy any and all of your desires. Because He's the one who will transform you into His image, not my image. I'm so thankful that I have a wife and kids. I love them dearly. They're fulfilling, but they do not fulfill me. I, need, I am desperately still in need of Christ to satisfy my heart and my soul. The same as the, the one who's trying to run out of a, a homosexual lifestyle, trying to get out of a promiscuous lifestyle. The same is, it's the same for all of us. We will only find hope and fulfillment in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this is the invitation that I want to close with tonight. That regardless of your situation, regardless of your circumstances, Jesus is able to fulfill you. He is more than enough to satisfy us. And if you desire a relationship with Him, you can simply ask Him, saying, I want you to come into my life. I want to set aside these things that have left me high and dry. These sins in my life that leave me empty every time. I want to set those aside and I want a taste of your living water, Jesus. Reveal yourself to me. I invite you to satisfy me. Pray that prayer and watch God do a work in your life.